Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. And we thank you for those brave men and women who never got to see a full life so that today we could be free to worship and free to preach and free to live. And we thank you, Lord, even as we sang that song, there's an army rising up to continue to fight for that liberty. And we praise you for it and we remember them. We remember those heroes, those fallen heroes, and the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. Speak to us today from his word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you, it's hard to preach after that video, and I've seen it four times. All right. Let's put this text up here. And I want to share with you today about another unsung hero in the Bible. His name is Caleb. Now, when I say Caleb, you think of another name, don't you? Say it. Joshua. Because usually we hear about Joshua, focus on Joshua, look at Joshua. But Caleb was right there next to him. He's one of the unsung heroes. We've been teaching on this and preaching on this for now six weeks, seven weeks. I'm going to do one more next week. But why are we focusing on these people? Because they're the ones tucked away in the shadows of the Old Testament who you don't hear a lot about, not front burner people, but because they did what they did, the front burner people we all know about were able to do what they did. There's nobody unimportant in the body of Christ. Everybody has a place and everybody's important. Everybody is a 10 in some area. And I want you to know you're important to God and in his body. So let's read about this hero named Caleb. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, that is to Joshua, now what he's doing is he's rehearsing what God had spoken to him and Joshua 45 years before. He's 85, hearkening back to when he was 40, and he can still remember it. Amen. He says, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me, Joshua, in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. Remember when the 12 spies were sent? He's remembering back now. And he says, on my part, I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. They brought back an evil report tragically. But I wasn't like them. I didn't follow the crowd. I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land, now he's talking to Caleb, surely the, the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Now say with me, he just got a word from God. Okay, now here's a promise given to a 40-year-old man of what his inheritance was in God by faith. So he says, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Now he's jumping ahead. He's 85 again, talking to Joshua. The Lord's kept me alive, Joshua. As he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, 
while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And as yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Hallelujah. Every older person in here say, go, Caleb. He's basically saying, I've still got it. Gray hair and all. Now, he says, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. I'm as good today as I was 45 years ago. That's Holy Ghost living. That's what righteousness will do for you. Now, now I want you to read this last part with me because here's an 85-year-old man whose dream has not died and he still wants what God promised him. Read it with me. Now, therefore, shout it to me now. Give me this mountain. How many of you got a mountain? You can say to God the same thing. Give it to me, Lord. Give me this mountain. Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to us today and reignite the dreams and the visions of your people. That we would grab that baton and run the race set before us with the same gusto as this Old Testament unsung hero Caleb did. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them whether or not you feel like it, you've still got it. <laughs> Amen. Well, this is my fourth service in three days in this building. Uh, Friday night, we had a high school graduation in here. And we had the chairs all the way up to the stage, and I mean all the way back to the back wall. And they were standing along the wall, and I got to preach the commencement. And I was told, do God light. Don't go heavy on God. You know what God light is, Christianity light? Don't get too religious on us. And I did not obey because I figured I had, you know, these kids. So I, I, I grabbed last Sunday's message and preached on Jephthah. And man, they loved it. It was great. And so we graduated a bunch of kids. First time I've ever stood in a line as they got their diploma and shook their hand as they walked off. It was, it was very neat for me. So that was Friday night. Then last night we had great church here, great attendance. I, I thought it would be way down because of Memorial Day, but it was, it was real solid. And now this is our, now our fourth service since Friday night. And I'm as good as when I started. All right. Now, this passage that we just read, of course, centers on what I told you, Caleb, man named Caleb. Now, Caleb was a part of Israel when they left Egypt. He was there when God divided the waters of the Red Sea. Now, I want you to remember that when that Red Sea divided, it was a picture of our salvation. It's an Old Testament type of our salvation. They went from bondage in Egypt, they went from slavery to Pharaoh, across the sea, the sea closed over their enemy, and they began their journey to the Promised Land. Perfect picture of Christian living. Now, Egypt has always represented the world, and Pharaoh has always represented Satan. So they in, essentially were delivered from the world and from Satan. They walked across the Red Sea, parted on both sides, and when they got to the other side, God closed it so they could never return to the world. Now, we baptized a minute ago, and here's what we said to these, these folks that were baptized. We said, buried with him by baptism into his death, 
raised to walk in the newness of life. That's a type of the Red Sea. Because when you're buried in the waters of baptism, you leave that old life behind and you can't go back. I said you can't go back. You're moving on now. And God closed the waters. And so we have been delivered from the world and we have been delivered from our arch foe, the devil. Now, as you know, Israel could have gone straight to the promised land. It would not have taken them long at all. As a matter of fact, just a few weeks, they could have traversed that landmass in that short a time. That's the tragedy of it. Forty years they wandered, and the first generation didn't even make it, except for two men, Joshua and Caleb. Now, this provides another picture of our salvation, and that is that we didn't just get a ticket to go to heaven, but the Christian life and eternal life have already begun for everyone in this room who has named the name of Christ. You're not going to die someday and go to heaven. I mean, you are, and, and then begin to experience eternal life. You've got eternal life right now. Your eternal life has already begun. God saves us. He promises us that we can have a life of victory and intense spiritual joy. Jesus, my joy I give to you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. But rather than claim what's rightfully ours, we make so often, just like the children of Israel, and where we could have had peace and joy and fellowship, power and the glory of God, many of us choose to live in a spiritual wilderness just like they did, wandering 40 years, going around the same mountains, the same landmass, over and over again, when they could have gone over into the land flowing with milk and honey. They lived and died, the first generation, in the wilderness, defeated and depressed. And that's what happens to a lot of believers. Isn't that sad? Because we have an incredible inheritance from God. We have a great inheritance from the Lord. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. Against such there is no law. Spiritual life, spiritual victory. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. But how many Christians do you meet that way? How many times do you meet Christians that are really uh, manifesting such a life? See, what, what we do is we window shop when it comes to the Word of God. We open up the Word of God and we go walking through all the stores. I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Oh, that looks great. Isn't that incredible? And, and, and I give you my peace. Oh, look at that promise. He gives us peace. And, 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 uh, and we are to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit as I just named, love, joy, and peace, and so on and so forth. What an incredible window but we never walk into the store and purchase those things with the currency of faith. We window shop. A lot of people window shop. I'm going to go ahead and get in trouble and say more women do it than men. We just like, how many of you men have ever been with your wife in a mall and say, what are we doing here? Oh, I'm just looking. I'm just looking. Well, I, 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 I can do other things besides just look. They do it all the time. Men don't normally like it. I like going into the mall, knowing exactly what I'm going to get, grabbing it, and getting out while I still can. One man said to his wife, why do you call it shopping? You never buy anything. Very wisely, she said, why do you call it fishing? You never catch anything. <laughs> Ladies, remember that. That's a great reply. 
Well, I just like fishing. Well, I just like window shopping. As Christians, we need to do more than window shop. Listen, it's time that we don't play church any longer. We're losing our nation in front of our eyes. What God is looking for is salty, filled up, prayed up, lifed up believers who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just window shopping, but saying, I want that. I'm going to go in and purchase it with the currency of faith and begin to walk in it and live in it and experience it in my own life. Today, I want us to see what in the world would empower How in the world did an 85-year-old man in the twilight of his years not lose his dream, not lose his vision? Because you see, Caleb was ready to go over and get it, experience that promised land, inherit the mountain he had stood on when Joshua, Moses actually gave him the word of the Lord, where your foot stood, it's yours. He wanted it. But he couldn't go over because the first generation believed in an evil report. They were held back. And for 40 extra years, he had to wander in that wilderness until the last one of that first generation died off. Don't you know there were times he said to himself, my best years are passing away. I'm at the height of my, my prime. And here I am having to hold back and can't cross over because of these people. He had unexpected detours. He had unforeseen battles. What he thought he was going to experience earlier on, he had to wait years to get. Some of you are that way right now. God gave you a dream a long time ago. And you have thought that because it was so long ago, it must be that it's not ever going to happen. But I'm going to tell you today, I came with a different word for you. That God gives dreams and God gives visions and God gives purpose and God gives destiny. And though the years go by and you experience unexpected detours, it doesn't mean God's finished with you. He's not. So how did he do it? How did Caleb, who pictures the Christian, who's willing to pay the price, fight the battles and win the victory that God has waiting for him, In the verses that we just read, we're given some clues as to how he did it. I want to know how he did it, don't you? How did this 85-year-old man, when when most people would be going, give me my gold watch and my 401k and let me find some place to fish the remainder of my days. That was not him. He was a conqueror. He was a man of faith. He wanted everything that God had for him. So let's allow this unsung hero, Caleb, to speak to us today. I see him and I call him the older man with a young dream. He never let his dream go. First, I see a key to his acquiring his inheritance so late in life and never losing his dream. Here it was. The first key to Caleb's success was that God had all of Caleb that there was to have. Think about that. God had all of Caleb. I want God to have all of me. Do you want God to have all of you? That means he's Lord over every thought, over every word, over every action, every attitude, every footstep, every place I go, every place I've been. He is the Lord of all. He's got all of me. Do you know that six times in the Old Testament, this phrase is spoken about Caleb. He wholly followed the Lord wholly followed the Lord. And there's always a because right before it. 
It says, God gave Caleb his inheritance because he wholly followed the Lord. God had all of him. And, and I looked in the Hebrew language, found something incredible here. Do you know what holy follow the Lord means? It's a phrase that means to close the gap. To close the gap. It's used in hunting, referring to a hunter who's closing the gap between himself and his prey. You got somebody hunting deer. At first, the deer's a long ways off. They're following tracks. They know they're on the trail, but as they continue to pursue, they know they're getting closer and closer and closer to their prey. They're, they're closing the gap between themselves and what they're hunting for. And, and what it's telling us about Caleb is that every day that he woke up, he said, how can I close the gap between me and God today? How can I close the distance? How can I get closer than I was yesterday? How can I know him better than I knew him last year? I want to tell you, I know the Lord better today than I knew him at this time last year. And I fully intend to know him better at this time next year than I know him now. You know why? Because I made up my mind to close the gap. What about you? I'm going to close the distance between me and the Lord. It means when you wake up in the morning, you say, how can I get closer than I was yesterday? How can I get nearer to him than I was last week? Let me get into that word and close the gap between me and God. You know, a lot of believers, they're always trying to figure out how they can dance around the flame of the world without diving fully in. In other words, how far away from God can I get and still be saved or still be right, but not Caleb? He got up and said, how much closer can I get today than I did yesterday? I want to close the gap. So he was totally, completely committed to keeping the distance between himself and the Lord as short as possible. And that's the way you got to live if you're going to be blessed by God. Anybody in here want to be blessed by God? Really blessed by God? Can I tell you, it's never going to happen until he has all of you. I've noticed when God gets all of you, you get all of him. When you say, Lord, be my Lord, totally and completely, I surrender all. That is when God says, that's what I've been waiting to hear. And he pours out his blessing. He gives exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask for or even think. Caleb decided that every inch, every ounce, every nerve, every fiber of his being was going to belong to God. Now you might be saying, well, Pastor Jeff, that sounds to me like the kind of commitment that you preachers ought to have, but not me, a normal person sitting out here in the church chairs and just coming to church on a Sunday, I, I don't really see that I should live that way. Oh, listen, you're called to ministry. You're called to shine for him. You're, you're called to be a part of the body of Christ. You're called to be influential for Jesus. You can go places this week. I can't go. Touch people I can't touch. Talk to people I'll never meet. You are God's light and his salt out there in that world. You're supposed to shine not be hidden under a bushel. You ought to be on a rooftop shining for him. God's got you as his designated strategic witnesses everywhere you go every day. So yes, you ought to be all of his. The Bible says you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your life. Can you say with me, I'm bought. I am purchased with the currency of the blood of the Lamb.
when Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions. He took a bold and decisive step to ensure the success of his military venture. Ordering his men to halt on the edge of the cliffs of Dover, he commanded them to look down at the waters below. So they went down and they looked down at where they had landed on ships just shortly before. And to their amazement, they saw that every one of these ships that they had arrived in were engulfed in flames. They looked at their leader and knew that he had deliberately cut off every possibility of retreat. Now that his soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was nothing left for them to do but advance and conquer. And can I tell you, church, that every ship you sailed in in the world has been burned. And there's only one thing left for us to do as Christians, and that's advance and conquer. God has burned every bridge that leads back to the old life. There's nothing there. All that remains is to set our minds on the task of conquering our Canaan. Like it or not, <clears throat> you're in a battle. You've been drafted. You've got the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, gospel sandals. You are fully girt up with the armor of God. And God says, now you go and you conquer in the name of Jesus and make your mark. That's the will of God. There's only one way to stand up against the devil and the hordes of hell that attack you and I every single day, and that is to be totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. I really believe the man who kneels before God can stand before anybody or any devil or any situation and win if you are fully surrendered to him, closing the gap, closing the distance, getting as close as you can day by day to him. If you will pursue God with every fiber of your being, he'll do exactly the same for you. Listen to this promise. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world, said James. Now listen to this one. James also said, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at the order. First, you've got to submit to God. If you're not submitted to God fully like Caleb, you have no power to resist the devil, and he will not flee from you. It's when you say, Lord, take my all, be my all. Today I'm going to close the gap. I'm not going to walk out the front door to face this world until I have closed the distance between me and you. I'm not going to give anything that gets into my spirit or life that separates me from God any longer than a 24-hour shelf life. I'm going to keep it right with you. I'm going to pray daily and close the distance and submit. And when you do that, you can say to the devil, get out of my space, get out of my home, get out of my mind, get out of my life, because I'm submitted to God. So everybody say with me, commitment is crucial to getting your promised land. And now the second thing I see in Caleb's life, he had confidence. Oh, I love his confidence. Talk about confidence. 85 years old. 85 years old, and he believed he could still be a giant killer. It was his confidence in God's Word. He didn't have confidence in himself. He didn't have confidence in anybody around him. He had confidence in the very Word of God. 
Can I tell you as a preacher of the word and as somebody that's walked with the Lord for many, many years, my confidence is not in my flesh. My flesh will fail me every time and so will yours. But I do have great confidence in this book. You can live by it. You can die by it. You can stand on it. You can walk on it. You can count on it. You can bank on it. This is the word of the living God. The word of the Lord endures forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word will never pass away. He looked back in time to the word God gave him, and he said, that's my foundation. That's my rock. God gave me a promise. Where I stepped, when me and those 12 walked across the Jordan, I stepped on a mountain, and God said, where your foot went, I'm going to give it to you. He took that word. He locked it in his heart. He refused to let disappointment, disillusionment, or detours take that promise away from him. His disappointment in people, his disappointment with so much time passing by, none of it robbed the word of God. You know, Mary, it says that when Mary was holding the baby Jesus, that many, many words came to her about this baby. And one time, Simeon, this old man who had been told, you're not going to die until you see the Christ child, came and held him up and spoke words of prophecy over this child. And you know what said Mary did? She took these words of prophecy and promise and kept them in her heart. The Greek word for kept there means locked them up. She locked them in the safe of her heart. Because Satan's always after the word of God in your heart. The parable of the sower, the seed fell on the ground and immediately the devil was there to pluck it up off the ground before it took root. Folks, there's times when you've got to say with the word of God over your life, nothing is taking this from me. I'm putting it under the lock and key of my faith. Nothing is going to take this word out. I'm hanging on to it. I'm going to walk with it. And one day I'm going to experience it. No man and no devil is going to take the word from my heart. You've got to get tough with it. He had confidence in the word of God. God had spoken over his life. God had sworn by his own name. Where your foot has trod, it's yours. And so as an 85-year-old man, he had seen the promised land. And for 45 years, that vision burned in his heart as he walked through the wilderness. Oh, folks, I'm going to tell you the most enduring thing that you and I have is the burning of the word of God deep in your heart. When God gives you a word, you can walk through any valley. You can go through any fiery oven. You can be betrayed. You can be walked out on. You can go through hell and high water, over mountains and deep valleys. But when that word of God is burning in your heart, it'll carry you through anything and everything. The word of the Lord burned in his heart when he was told you're going to have to spend 40 more years in the wilderness. The word of God burned in his heart as the first generation died off. The word of God burned in his heart when the last one finally died. And don't you know he was standing over him going, come on, come on, come on. He dead yet? Because as soon as the last one died, the anointing of God came on the second generation. And Joshua rose up and said, it's time to go. And the children 
of those that failed had said, I'm not going to repeat mom and dad's mistake. We receive the word of the Lord. We receive it. I can just picture a bunch of them walking around the last one. Come on, come on, kick the bucket, come on. We're ready. Caleb was right there with them, 85 years old. And it says that the way he did it is he looked beyond the trouble to the promise of God. While others complained, Caleb focused on a mountain where milk and honey flowed and where the giant grapes grew. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it said as he sweat as it were great drops of blood knowing the cross was coming, he would soon be betrayed. He would soon be spit upon. His beard would be plucked out. They would whip him and beat him beyond recognition and crucify him on a tree. He knew it. But it says in the Bible, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was he doing? He looked beyond the cross to the joy. He looked beyond the cross to the promise. Somebody of you need to get your eyes off the problem and get them on the promise. Amen. And Jesus did that and it secured him. It empowered him. And when they nailed him to that tree, he said, this isn't what I'm looking at. I'm looking at my resurrection three days from now. This might be my toughest hour but three days from now I'm coming out of that grave and I'm going to bring millions of people with me and I'm going to have an untold number of people redeemed by the blood that I'm about to shed and one day I'm going to return to the earth and rule it with a scepter of righteousness so I can look beyond the cross to the promise and get through this and if you focus on the word you can go through anything look at the promise of God I can see him this old 85-year-old man, strong, tough, rugged. He's climbing the mountain with a sword in one hand, ready to kill the giants, and a promised deed in the other. God gave me this mountain. It's the word over my life. I'm here to take it. Sword in one hand, promise in the other. Folks, that's how we live. The sword of the Spirit in one hand, the promise of God in the other. The sword of the Spirit fighting the devil and the promise of God holding our faith and that's how you apprehend what God's got for you and I can hear him saying I want that mountain I want that mountain where the milk and honey flow where the grapes of Eskel grow. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. The mountain that the Lord has given to me. His eyes are peeled. He has seen it in his heart. He has lived it in his spirit. The dream has never died. The vision has never vanished. And now he's going up that mountain, slaying giants on the way, and putting his foot where he had put it 45 years before. And he took it. You know what he shows us? Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not just mere optimism. Faith is not just looking on the bright side of things. That's not faith. Here's what faith is. Faith is simply acting on what God says. Faith, you don't have to feel up or down to do what faith says. You don't have to feel good or bad. It can be a cloudy day, a bright day, 
a good day, a bad day, a tough day, an easy day, but you can take a step of faith no matter what. Faith just says, God said it. That's his word. I'm going to do what it says. And he took it. So he had commitment. He had commitment. And he also had to have courage. And I want you to listen. Every time I say that word courage, I think of the Wizard of Oz and the lion. Courage. I need courage. I used to feel so bad for that guy, uh, the king of beasts, and he had no courage. But Caleb had commitment and he had confidence, but he also had great courage. And he had to have courage for three obstacles. And so do you. Here they are. First, he had to overcome negative people saying negative things. Have you ever noticed that when you go to take a step of faith, here they come, the can't do it, here's why you can't do it, here's the shouldn't do it, all the people that think you shouldn't do it, can't do it, won't do it, are not called to do it. Have you ever noticed they come out of the woodwork when you go to take a step of faith? Here they came, negative people saying negative things. Moses sent 12 spies across the Jordan and 10 of them came back with a we can't do it. 10 of them were can't do it. And they came back. And I want you to see the power of a negative report. They came back with a negative report. And here's what they said. They said, there we saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Can I ask you a question? How did they know what the giants were thinking? They didn't know. They said, man, looking at them, we feel like grasshoppers. They got to feel the same way. And they projected their own negativity onto their giants. And they attributed something to the giant that they did not deserve. Those giants might have been thinking, are these the people we've heard about that are taking every city they approach in the name of their God? They might have been quaking in their sandals. But instead, the spies said, oh, no, we look like grasshoppers in our own sight. And they came back and they shared this negative report with the people. You've got to be so careful what you listen to spoken over your life. They came back and said, we cannot do it. And the Bible says it had a terrible catastrophic influence. In Joshua 2.11, it says, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone. We were like grasshoppers. They were huge. There's no way they're going to win. And the people's hearts melted. It was like spiritual vampirism. It came and sucked every drop of courage out of them. And they died on the wrong side of the Jordan because of a negative report, except for Caleb. Caleb said, I'm not going to go with the crowd. I'm not going to go with the majority. They're not right. And can I tell you, church, we're in a country right now where the majority is going with some things that are completely wrong. Can I tell you, historically, the majority tends to be wrong because the majority tends to be fad, trend-driven. And not us. We are word God driven. So you've got to stay with what the word of God says. Caleb said, I'm not going to go with them. I am not going to go with the majority. They are wrong. He said, I may have to stand alone. It may just be me and God. But I know that if I'm standing on the word of God, in the will of God, then the God of the word will stand with me. Second thing he had to overcome was the giants themselves. 
But he had an incredible perspective on these giants. Let me tell you this perspective. I love it. I'm writing a new book, and this is going to be in it. I love this. This is the way he saw his giant, and it's the way that God wants you to see your giant. He's trying to talk them out of listening to these negative naysayers. And he says, only do not rebel against the Lord, and don't fear the giants of the land, for they are our bread. You're going to eat them up. Can I tell you something about your giant? Your giant hopes you don't realize that it's your bread. You're going to eat your giant alive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The giant looming over you is not going to win the battle if you have a commitment to God and you are completely submitted to God. That giant is going to become your bread. God's going to work it out for your good. What looks like a looming threat, you're going to get the victory over because he always makes you triumph in Jesus Christ and you are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. And that giant is no big deal to God. If you believe that, give him a hand of praise today. It's absolutely true. He said, they are our bread. And he said, their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Three strikes, the giant is out. He's going to be your bread. Their protection is gone. And the Lord is with you. Three strikes, the giant is out. Can I say over you, your giant is going to be your bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with you. When you face a giant, you've got two options. Here they are. You can look at how small you feel compared to those giants, and that's the outlook of fear. Or you can look at those giants compared to the size of your great God, and that's the uplook of faith. You can have the outlook of fear or the uplook of faith, but either way, you choose is going to decide whether you win or whether you lose. So he had commitment. Great commitment to the Lord. And he had courage. But then Joshua had to overcome, or not Joshua, Caleb, old age. He said, I was 40 years old, now I'm 85. I'm 85. I'm going to have to overcome old age. Here I am, 85 years old, but I've still got my young dream. I've still got that vision. I've still got that fire. I still want what God told me I could have. Folks, we need that kind of grit. We need that kind of steel in our spine. You know, I started preaching 40 years ago. That's hard for me to believe, but it's true. And God put something in my heart when I was 18 years old and started preaching. It's still there. I haven't seen it all, but you know what I'm doing? I'm saying with Caleb, God, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. I saw when I was 18, millions of people being reached with the word of God. We've reached thousands, but we're not done yet. We're going to reach millions with the word of God. I'm saying, give me this mountain. Caleb stood there in his twilight years, still possessing, overcoming, giant killing, courageous faith. Can I say something to you today? Never count God or yourself out. God's never finished with you. He's still working. And the dreams he's given you, though there's been many miles and many disappointments, 
May God rekindle the flame in your spirit again today. Caleb had commitment. He had confidence. He had courage. And because of that, he had a successful conquest. He climbed that mountain, sword in one hand, promise in the other, brought the giants down. And do you know that the place he took is called Hebron, which means fellowship. Caleb refused to quit until he had obtained all of his inheritance and dwelt in that special place of fellowship with God. He closed the gap. In his old age, he stood, finished with what God had given him. Some of you with silver hair, wake up again. Some of you that have thought because of mistakes and detours and disappointments, your call is gone. No, it's still there. Look at Caleb. I want to encourage you to take the baton. This ought to be our battle cry today. We ought to refuse, and I mean this, to give up, refuse to back up, refuse to shut up, or refuse to be held up until we have stood up, lined up, read up, prayed up, confessed up, stored up, spoke up, looked up, and filled up on everything the Lord wants us to have. Can you stand with me today? Say with me commitment, confidence in the Word, courage. What is courage? It's fear that has said its prayers. That's what courage is. Courage, and then listen, conquest. Conquest. We're going to take what God has given to us to take. With your heads bowed in prayer, I want to encourage you today. Think for a minute with me. Has the dream God given you? Has it gone somewhere onto the back burner? That vision that God gave you, is it under attack? Have life's harsh realities pushed that front burner dream to the back? And you're just kind of barely getting along. Listen, I mean, the Holy Spirit is here today to help you to pick up that dream again. It's not too late. It's never over till God has had his say. Remember how you used to wake up excited about what God was doing? But people have disappointed you. Detours have happened. Blockades have stood in your path. Obstacles. And somewhere along the way, that first love, that first zeal, that first fire, has begun to flicker. I'm asking the Lord today to reflame the flame, rekindle that fire. You can say, Pastor Jeff, my dream has absolutely been under attack. What I felt God wanted me to do, what I felt my purpose was, that first love, that zeal, it's been under attack. And I want to see what happened to Caleb happen to me. I'm going to recapture it and I'm going to take the land. If that's you, can you raise your hand today? All over this place. There's many of you. Many, many, many. I want to pray for you. Keep your hand up. Father, you see them. Pray this with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, my dream's been under attack. 
But I receive this word today that you will speak and rekindle this flame. Help me to pick up that dream again. And I receive your blessing. I commit as Caleb committed. My confidence is in your word. I put on the courage of the Holy Spirit. And I will make my conquest in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, you heard this, and I pray you will seal it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for a church that is chasing after God and the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Give him a hand of praise today, can you? Thank